How are y'all doing today? And we're going to continue on in this series called The Untold Story of uh, Jesus. And the reason we call it that, as we've kind of laid it out before, is the, uh, the untold story of Jesus is through the book of John. And uh, a lot of what is told in the book of John isn't repeated in the other Gospels. And so this is a fresh look at the life of Christ. And so tonight we're going to talk about, or today we're going to talk about uh, the coming counselor that Jesus promised to his disciples. Now that was the night before that he was to be um, executed on the cross, and he told of this, this coming counselor, which we know as the Holy Spirit. And uh, the King James Version refers to this as the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I, I kind of kind of looking in that and, and researching that a little bit, I, I kind of agree with some people to say that maybe that's not the best translation. Uh, when I say that, it's because the Holy Spirit is not this, this kind of misty uh, figure that we kind of can't get our, our head wrapped around. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so I like to refer to it as the Holy Spirit. That's just Tony's opinion, by the way. It's, I'm not, I'm not uh, begrudging anyone else. Uh, but I think that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is something that's relational in our lives. And so, you know, when we talk about the Holy Ghost, it kind of made me think about some ghost stories. Uh, probably a lot of you have heard ghost stories. Maybe some of you have told them. Did I lose, some, did I lose something there? Am I out? There we go. I'm back up. Uh, so the, the ghost stories. You know, you grow up around the campfire hearing about ghost stories and all this stuff. And, and so... Um, I got a ghost story that I want to share with you, and that's not something I personally experienced. Uh, but this was when uh, I was in um, I was in the in my previous career when I was in the design industry. We were working on a project, and uh, I was working with a lady, and she was uh, kind of a very affluent person, a very detail-oriented person, and she had donated a bunch of money for this project. And so one thing I've learned is when people donate a lot of money to a project, they kind of like to have some say. And so she, like I said, she's very detail-oriented. And, and so there's one specific detail, and I don't even remember really what it was, but there was a certain, like, where the screen dropped through the ceiling of this classroom we were doing. It had to be just right. And so she wanted me to see an example of that at, this, uh, at, at her complex where her office was, and it was... There was this 1800s era house that was on the, the complex. It used to be their office, and they turned it into kind of a training room. So I drove all the way to their office, and I saw this detail just the way she wanted it. it took about 10 seconds, and then we retired to what used to be her office and continued to talk about the project. I don't know how this came up, but she told me about a, an instance that had happened in that house. She said the house was haunted. And so we were sitting in her office, and to kind of frame this out, right beside her desk was this um, old glass French door. And so she was explaining about a time when uh, she had an employee that uh, was working on a project. It wasn't going real well, wasn't going fast enough, and so she brought this guy in to kind of read him the riot act. And so they sat down, and she started uh, complaining to him, and she said her voice got a little, got raised a little bit, and then he wasn't having anything to do with it, so his voice uh, started to elevate, and so they were arguing. They had a confrontation. And she said right in the middle of this, that door beside the, the, the desk started rattling real violently. I mean, shaking like it was almost going to break. And so they both got up, walked outside, looked at each other, and then just kind of walked away. 
And so that, that sounds pretty fantastic. But the most fantastic part about the story was that she had a perfect interpretation of all of it. She had told me about the fact that this house had been occupied by a family in the 60s, and for some reason, the son waited on the, the roof of the barn, and when his dad came out to have coffee, for some inexplicable reason, the kid shot and killed his dad with a crossbow. And so her, her explanation of this is that that door that was rattled was rattled by the ghost of this guy, and he was not happy that this employee was yelling at her. That's her interpretation. And so I don't really know how she came to that. I was almost thinking, could he have been mad that you were yelling at him? So, but nonetheless, however you want to process that, she really believed that that happened and had that as an explanation. And so I just wanted to deal with a little bit about ghosts. One thing that I'll tell you, and this is, this is my interpretation, that when I read the Bible, I don't, there, there's a prevailing kind of attitude that the ghosts or spirits that people may experience are people that have died and have come back to, to communicate with us. My opinion is, is that that's not biblical. That when we die, the Bible is pretty specific about what, where we go, uh, depending on what we be, who we believe in, if we accepted Christ. And so I, I just don't think that that's really, um, it's really biblical. I don't think that that's grounded in, uh, in biblical proof. Uh, so wherever you land on that, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody who thinks differently, but wherever you land on that, I think the Bible is very specific about warning against dabbling in things that can be considered the occult. And uh, I know the King Saul, the first king of the Jews, you know, he was Samuel speaking, through, speaking for God, had said that he was supposed to drive out the medians, the, kind of the, uh, the fortune tellers. But Saul actually summoned uh, a medium and had Samuel brought had Samuel conjured up. And, and if you read that account, it says Samuel wasn't very happy about being disturbed. And he pretty much reiterated that Saul was going to suffer some pretty bad stuff because of his disobedience, and that came to light. And so I think the Bible is very clear that those things of kind of this dark, shadowy occult, really it's, it's kind of dangerous, and we should probably not dabble in that. And so I wanted to lighten the mood a little bit and show you a photograph here. Uh, this was... Some guy who apparently painted his hardwood floor into a Ouija board. Anybody remember what Ouija boards were? My sister had one. My mom burned it, I think. But uh, to caption this, uh, this was a meme I pulled off of Facebook. It said, you know, this seemed like a good idea until your Roomba summons the devil. So anyway, you get, slowly you got it. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Enough about ghosts. And so we'll be talking about the coming counselor that Jesus promised. And so to understand what the Holy Spirit is, I kind of want to talk a little bit about maybe what the Holy Spirit isn't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions on the subject. Um, but in, in researching this, I wanted to know what a lot of people that I think are a lot smarter than me thought about the Holy Spirit. And so I, I kind of read across the board what, a different, what different people think in uh, podcasts and maybe blogs. And uh, it seems like there were a few kind of depictions of the Holy Spirit that I thought were very limited. Uh, one is, is that the Holy Spirit is kind of like a really good grandfather. You know, you, the kind of grandfather that had like Werther's originals in his pocket. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the way some people see the Holy Spirit. Or some people kind of view him uh, as uh, maybe a genie in the bottle. 
that we can rub the bottle and summon the Holy Spirit and He's going to grant our wishes. And then there's also kind of the, the picture of the Holy Spirit being kind of some self-help guru kind of guy who's going to teach us how to be the best person that we can be. And, you know, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do any of that, but I think limited to that is, is it's just not a good depiction of the Holy Spirit. He's so much more than just someone who, who gives us good gifts. And so let those verses that we're going to share to speak to you, I, I would say t don't take my word for it. Open the Bible and dig into this on your own. Um, I just really encourage you um, to do that. And so first thing I want to share with you, I'm going to, I've got some lists today. The first thing I want to share with you are three, what I believe are foundational truths about the Holy Spirit. And the first truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is a, is a third part of the Trinity. And uh, the Trinity is kind of a mysterious kind of thing for us. I was, I was over hearing Randy talk about someone who said they, didn't, they were Christians, but they didn't believe in the Trinity. Well, you have to tear out quite a few pages in the Bible and throw them away to say that you don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is real. The Trinity is the three natures of God, not three separate persons, but the three natures of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the, uh, that the uh, Holy Spirit is that third part of the Trinity. That's the truth. Uh, the second is, is that the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit's personal. It's not an aberration. He is not an aberration. He is not something that we can't relate to. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is personal. It's not, he's not limited to an emotion either. I mean, if, when, that feeling that we get when we're happy or the feeling that we get when we're singing our favorite worship song. Now, I'm not saying our senses do can give us a good, uh, a good uh, indication of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it's not limited to just an emotion. The Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is a person. And I think Jesus tells us that. The third truth is, um, is that the Spirit's in you. As Christians, the Spirit is in you. He takes up residence in you as a believer. And when we follow Jesus and we, we obey His commands, He sets up shop. And He works through us. Inviting Christ into your life is inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's a truth that we know uh, from the Bible. So those are the three foundational truths I wanted to share with you about the Holy Spirit. Then there's three things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And the first one is that he is advocating for us. In the book of John, uh, chapter 14, it says, Jesus said, If you love me, you will, obey, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And Jesus continues on in verse 25. He says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit... The Father will send him in my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. I want to go back to the first statement, the first statement that Jesus made in these verses when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That, that's a pretty powerful statement. 
You know, Jesus isn't saying, if you pray a sinner's prayer, he isn't saying anything that we can do. It's just obeying his commands. Jesus calls us to obey him. It's like the father. It's like your father. If, if you say, I love you, dad, but I'm not going to listen to anything you say, then do you really love him? And so Jesus says, obey my commands. And there's a lot of arguments about when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and it's in God's time, but the Bible is clear when we believe in Christ that the Holy Spirit that will, will enter us. And, but I do believe that there's an if there. We need to obey Jesus' commands. If we want to leverage the full force of the Holy Spirit, then we need to obey what Jesus has called us to do. Just, just believing in Jesus isn't enough because the Bible says that even the demons believed in Jesus that we have to obey what Jesus calls us to do. I'm going to confess right now, I don't always do that. And I think if we're all honest with each other, we can say that. Um, and, and I don't always obey Jesus' commands perfectly. And, and, and His commands aren't just don't drink, don't cuss, and go to church on Sunday. His commands are for us to make disciples. His commands are for us to pour ourselves into other people. His commands are for us to multiply and to grow the kingdom of God. That's what God calls us to do. It's what Jesus gave us to do. We're supposed to be marketing Jesus Christ to the people that we know and in our community and everybody that we can influence. The Holy Spirit is, is an advocator. He's going to advocate for us. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be a strengthener. And He's going to be a resource that we can utilize in answering our calling to Jesus. And I'm going to make a, a statement here that I believe is true. We all have the same calling. We just have different gifts and talents to get it done. And so the Holy Spirit's going to be there for us. He's going to be standing beside us, but He's also going to be exposing those gifts for us so that we can utilize those for the glory of God. Jesus said that there's another counselor coming. Jesus was the first. The Holy Spirit is the second. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to carry on Jesus' strategy in the world. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to help us take the presence of Jesus into the world as we know it. Jesus said something else here that is striking to me. He said, it is good that I go. Now that's kind of hard for me to, to kind of fathom. Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving so that the counselor can come. If I don't leave, he can't come. And I've kind of wondered really what that, that really meant because I've kind of said this all my life. I've, I've said, man, if I was just there with Him. You know, I have a hard time doing the things that Jesus called me to do. And I do things that, that He doesn't want me to do. But I, I say, if I was just there and I saw Him and I walked with Him and I saw those miracles, that I'd have no problem understanding what I'm supposed to do. But let's test that theory a little bit. Think about his disciples. You know, if you look, if you watch, and if you follow like the life of Christ, if you will kind of put that in order and kind of do the harmony of the gospel study, you will see the spiritual growth of his disciples. It's amazing. They went from, from basically uneducated fishermen, guys who didn't have a clue, who didn't know Jesus. They followed Jesus, and they saw Him do ministry, and then Jesus started including them. Then He sent them out. And these disciples and these leaders of the church that Jesus was training, they started dispelling evil spirits. They started healing people. 
you can see their spiritual growth. They go from these guys who don't know anything to spiritual giants. But let's see what, what happened, though. What happened that night in the garden? When the guards came and they chained up Jesus and they dragged him off to be judged by the Sanhedrin. Where were the disciples? They scattered. They ran. The leader of the bunch denied Jesus, denied knowing him, not once but three times. You can literally hear their knees knocking when you read those verses. They were scared to death. Now let's fast forward that story. Jesus has ascended into heaven. They've waited in Jerusalem, and now Jesus is pushing them out. Let's look at the lives of the apostles, these twelve. They were bold. They never faltered. They were beaten because they professed the name of Jesus. They were imprisoned. They were persecuted. And all of them but one died a martyr's death. Now compare those two. What's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit. The difference came on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit entered the hearts of those guys and then these guys that were scared to death and running and their knees were knocking, they were no longer afraid. And they boldly proclaimed Jesus right up until their death. Because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate manifestation of the presence and the power of God. And see, Jesus in His human state, in His incarnate state, when Jesus said, it's good that I go, Jesus was acknowledging that as a human, Jesus couldn't dwell in the hearts of these guys. But the Holy Spirit, the ultimate manifestation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit could. And it changed the world. And God wants to change the world. The Holy Spirit wants to change the world through you. You have, as a believer, the Holy Spirit in you. My question for all of us today is, do you have Him? And does He have you? Is He the person uh, in the presence that's relational in your life? He's either relational or He's not. It's based on our choice. How much do you follow His leading? How much do you include Him in the things that you do? How much do you include Him in the things that you don't do? You know, the Spirit-filled life is just that. It's spiritual. Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-driven. And, and Spirit-filled life, when we talk about being Spirit-filled, it's not just about speaking in tongues. It's not just about fasting and prayer. It's about cooperating with the efforts of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the commands of Christ to utilize the Holy Spirit as a powerful resource to bear much fruit in our lives. And fruit is people. Fruit is souls. Another thing that Jesus said the Holy Spirit does is He testifies. He testifies about Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 15, verse 26, it said, Jesus said, When the Counselor comes... The one I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. You will also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. You know, there is no way you can study the Holy Spirit without understanding that the Spirit is missional. The Spirit is a missional Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't interested in being quiet about Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit markets Jesus. And folks, my prayer for this church, for this body of Christ that we call Journey, is that we become a missional body. That we turn outward and that we seek to fulfill and that we become unapologetic marketers of Jesus. We become a church about allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us so the kingdom of God can grow starting right here in this building and in this county and in, in this city and everyone that we can influence. See, the, the Spirit is missional and the Spirit is dead set on making Jesus known throughout the world. He's, he's turned outward. He's aggressive. And he, and he means business. The Holy Spirit is a promoter of Jesus. And folks, he's in expansion mode. And he wants the kingdom of God to grow. And he wants to do it through you. If you cooperate, he'll take over. And he'll multiply you into other people. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives are changed. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that eternities are altered. And that's what we're called to do, to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, and we're supposed to do the same. Another thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is, is a convicting spirit. He's a convicting spirit. In chapter 16, Jesus said, But now I'm going away to him who sent me. But not one of you ask, Where are you going? Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus, in these verses, did you catch that? He says the Holy Spirit is going to convict about sin, righteousness, and judgment. First, let's talk about sin. That's how life starts to change. When you understand that the way you're living isn't right. That's what sin is. And he's going to convict us about what's right and what's wrong. And we need to learn to accept the, the judgment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our, is, speaks through our conscience. Have you ever thought that way? You know, the word conscience breaks down into two words, con and science. It means with knowledge. And it's through the Holy Spirit, that it's through, through our conscience that I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I know it was through a time, this was about maybe 10, 15 years ago, through a time of extended prayer and fasting, uh, I, I learned that being convicted by the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit's telling us through our conscience that maybe something that we're doing is something we shouldn't do. Or there's something that we need to be doing that we're not. And it's our choice to answer that or not. The Holy Spirit directs us about what's right and what's wrong. I think every... Body knows the difference between right and wrong. It's just how we accept it and how we react. He also said that, uh, that the Holy Spirit's going to convict in righteousness, meaning the Holy Spirit is going to convict us regarding righteousness. I was talking with a high schooler, a senior in high school, and I asked him about holiness and righteousness. I said, what do you think it would mean if we decided, if someone says, I want to pursue holiness and righteousness? And his first response was, well, I think that's kind of arrogant. And you know, he's right in one respect, because if we try to do that on our own, if we, if we try to do that through our own will, then yeah, it's probably pretty arrogant. But Jesus does call us to holiness and righteousness. 
He calls us to the life that looks like His. And not by our own works, but by through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a right and there's a wrong. You know, the world keeps flipping that definition these days. It really does. I don't want to get into politics, but the, the world flips the definition about right and wrong. One, one most glaring example that I know of today is the world is saying, is trying to say that it's okay if a baby is killed after birth. And it's called a choice. Folks, that's a, that's a glaring example of where we're taking something that's so wrong and we're trying to call it right. Our culture today calls some pretty horrific things right today. And, and I've I'm, I'm got to tell you, I know a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who are going along with it. And that breaks, it breaks my heart. And there's a narrative that's been pushed in the church around the country that there's certain things we don't need to say. We don't need to talk about the Holy Spirit. We need to maybe limit how much we talk about Jesus because that's just going to push people away. Thank God that's dying. Thank God that's going away. Because we need to speak the words that Jesus spoke. And we need to claim His name. And we need to be unapologetic about pushing Jesus Christ. Because He's the one that can save. Not us or anybody else. And so we need to be counter-cultural. We don't need to go the way that the world is going. And it's no surprise. Read your Bible. Read the book of Revelations. I mean, it's, it's things are, things are, are going to get that way, but we need to stay consistent. You know, the, the Word of God is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. We don't evolve Scripture. Scripture is constant. And so, shine away from the truth. We talk about Jesus being the perfect balance of grace and truth. And I, and I believe that. He was the perfect balance. But Jesus did not shy away from the truth. That wasn't His style. And neither does the Holy Spirit. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit's also going to uh, offer uh, judgment. The world passes a lot of judgment these days about Jesus. They've, the world's done that for a couple thousand years. Jesus died for our sins. He did. And if that is where it ended then we would have a hard time maybe debunking what the world says about Jesus, that maybe he's just a good moral teacher. Or that, that Jesus is not the only way, there's, there's more ways. You know, it would be hard to kind of argue against that, but it doesn't end there. Because Jesus did die for our sins, but he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. All other leaders of all other alleged religions are in a grave somewhere. You can go visit them. But there is no tomb that holds the body of Jesus. You know, I went to Jerusalem a couple of years ago, and there's two places that they argue about where Jesus was buried. I saw them both, and he ain't there. He's not there. Those tombs are empty. Jesus rose again, and that is victory. That is something to celebrate. And the Holy Spirit wants that win to be known throughout the world. And how's he going to make that happen? It's going to be through us. It's going to be through us. He's in you if you believe in Jesus. And He wants the whole world to know about Jesus. And when someone is interacting with you, when someone that you're working with is in proximity to you, honestly, they should see something different. They should see something supernatural in you. There's got to be something that's just a little off about it. 
And, and they're going to want that. The, the early church, they had it. They were a spirit-filled church. God said, Jesus, God said that the Bible said that their numbers were increased daily, those that were, that were believing. And that's because there was something different about them. And I want to be honest with you. And I'm serious. I don't see a lot of that these days. I don't. And I don't see it in myself. Why is that? I can kind of only speak for, for myself, but I, I can tell you this. What I do sometimes is I personally replace the Holy Spirit with myself. I do. And when I do that, I'm muzzling the Holy Spirit. And I'm silencing the Holy Spirit. And I think that's happening a lot, at least in our country. I want to share a story with you. Uh, you guys may have heard of a, of a kind of a famous preacher by the name of David Platt. And he's a, he's a disciple-making minister. That's how he kind of phrases himself. But he was telling this story about a young man named Radin, or Raiden, I don't know how to pronounce that, but he's Indonesian. And he was uh, speaking to people in his village. And he was trying to figure out how to speak, uh, preach the gospel uh, to the people in his village. And he was in a house. And uh, there was a witch doctor in this village. It's pretty prevalent in Indonesia. And the witch doctor kind of held sway over the whole village uh, based on his spells and his incantations. Well, the witch doctor wasn't happy that, that Radin was, was preaching the gospel. And so he comes to this house and he starts yelling in and he's calling Radin out. And he wants to fight him. Well, let me tell you something about Radin. Radin's a fighter. He knew jujitsu. He, he was trained in ninja warfare. I didn't know you could do that. But that he, was, he was a very proficient martial artist. And he said, in telling this story, he said, the first thing he thought, I'm going to go out and kick the guy's butt. And then he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, no, no. So he went outside and he pulled up a chair and he sat down in front of the witch doctor and he said, I'm not going to fight you. My God fights for me. Amen. Well, this witch doctor starts getting in his face and he starts yelling at him, but all of a sudden the guy starts choking. And then the next thing, the guy can't breathe. And then he falls dead in the dirt in front of this guy. And so he, Redden doesn't know what's going on. And so all these people start to gather around. And then the Holy Spirit convicts him again and says, now would be a good time to preach the gospel. <laughs> and he did. And the people in that village are following Jesus today. I want to share with you what, what David said, what Dave Platt said about this. This is a quote from him. First of all, he says this, I'm not recommending this as a new church growth methodology. <laughs> But this story was a clear reminder to me that thousands of years ago, believers proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ and it caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and the dead to rise. The name of Jesus had power to cause evil spirits to fail and bring the most hardened of hearts to God. And the reality is 2,000 years ago, the power of Jesus' name is still just as great. So why is the name of Jesus just as powerful 2,000 years later than it was then? It's because the Holy Spirit makes sure of it. 
He's inviting us along for the ride. Are you up for it? Do you want to jump on board? Do you want to be those unapologetic marketers of Jesus? Do you want to bring the people around you? You know, if you allow the Holy Spirit to run roughshod in your life, those, all those people in your circle of influence that don't know Jesus can come to the foot of the cross. I haven't believed that a lot. I've looked at people in my family. I've looked at friends. And I look at the hardness of their hearts and I think there ain't no way that they're going to accept Jesus. But folks, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you allow Him to do the heavy lifting, if you allow Him to work through you, those people can be with you in eternity. And that's why the Holy Spirit wants you on board. You know, it's a call to all of us. To all believers, allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of like me and I've, I've muzzled that Holy Spirit and I've kind of pushed Him aside and I've gotten in the way. And if that's you today, I can't think of anything better to do than to pray. And so in a moment, we're going to have a, a communion. We're going to celebrate this meal together. And, and I want to invite you, uh, if that's you today, if you, if you need some encouragement, if you need, I don't know, just, just prayer, just to go to the Father, I'm going to be up here and I'll be glad to pray that with you. I'm sure if I'm busy, there'll be someone else that'll jump up here with me and see people in the audience and be glad to do that. Or maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ. And that, the only guarantee I can give you is you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. That the Holy Spirit comes when we're believers, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I will just go out of my way and say, I would beg you, don't leave today. I'll be here and I'd like to pray that prayer with you. I'd like to help you figure out what your next step is. Our baptismal is, is up and running every week and the water's warm. It's perfect. And so if that's you, please don't leave here today without seeing me. You know, we're going to go to this time of, of communion where we gather around the Lord's table. And this is to remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us. But it's also a time when we can reflect upon who we are and how we're fulfilling what God has called us to be. And so today, let's do that. Let's remember Jesus, his sacrifice, the fact that he rose from the grave. But let's also look inward to our hearts. And let's stand convicted by the Spirit. Would you pray with me as we go uh, into this meal? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we love you. And we just appreciate this simple, this simple symbol, this symbology that we have of gathering around these trays as we take this, this juice that represents the blood that was spilled on the foot of the cross and this bread that represents the broken body, the one that was laid in the tomb that the tomb couldn't contain. God, we just dedicate this day to you and Lord, we just submit to the power of the Spirit. We love you and it's in your holy Son's name we pray. Amen.